Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from the island of St. Helena, deep in the middle of the South Atlantic. We are a few thousand miles from Brazil, about 1,200 miles from Angola, deep in the middle of nowhere in the South Atlantic. Only 4,200 people live here, and you really need to want to get here to get here because it's not easy to get here. They recently opened an airport, the first airport in the island's history. That's the good news. The challenging news is there's only one flight a week from Johannesburg with a stop in Windhoek in Namibia. And if you 
miss the flight, then you either don't get here, or if you miss the return flight, then you're here for another week. My next guest is uh, is an amazing guy. If truth be told, we had a lot of fun yesterday walking around Jamestown, uh, the main the main location here in St. Helena. And he's been here all his life. He is short of a character. He's also my bona fide historian. And, and his name is, is Basil George. Basil, I have to ask you something. You've been here how long? Well, since I was born. That's 1936, if you want there to know. There you go. Yes. Now we're talking. <laughs> so you are very much a part of the 20th and now the 21st century history of this island. Yes. Which really, in, 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 some, in some many ways, hasn't changed that much. Um, the population hasn't exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, the transportation opportunities are just starting to change now with an airport. But most of the people here know everybody. You can walk down the street and talk to anybody you know because everybody knows you. And you've preserved so much of the history and the culture because, in a way, that's the way people like it. Yes. Uh, thinking about thinking about change, uh, certain things haven't changed. The the built heritage hasn't changed. I mean, St. Helena, I, I think if you had to sort of uh, say say about it is that you it's a diversity that you have in such a small such such a small place because uh, it, i mean you may you yeah. mentioned yourself like, yeah. it, it hits you as you as you walk around it's, it's you're surrounded by it all the time you're surrounded by these historic buildings it's volcanic and yet in the middle it's, it's very lush so as you as you're driving around you turn a corner suddenly the whole landscape is very different and by the way as you're driving around you honk your horn because if you're going up somebody may be coming down and the roads are not that wide no you're right and not that many cars on the island i mean you know I come. I spent a lot of my time in Los Angeles, where we live in our cars on the freeway. Yes. Here, no. It's it's you can go for miles and not see another car. And then when you do see another car, you have to pull over because otherwise, you, you, both of you can't fit on the road at the same time. Yes, that's just the very nature of the place. It's it's just the roads. The roads are narrow because also I think what people have to realize too, a Saint Lena is very is very very hilly. You know, it's it's, it's a volcanic island. Uh, just to give an idea of size, it, it's uh, it's more than half the he- height of it. Everest that comes straight out of the o- ocean, and we're only the tip of this volcanic island being eroded, and so it's very, very hilly. So it's very difficult. You just can't build wide roads because you have to go along the contours of the hills. Exactly. So that's that's the very nature of it. And the other thing is, you know, it's it's very much of a, a, it reminds me very much of a small a small town m- mentality and and feeling of America. I mean, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. You have very little crime, mm-hmm. right? How big is your police department? I think it's about about thirty. I think, or that's sort of, that sort of number. I well, think. then you've grown. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> How big is the fire department? Oh, they have well, half a dozen. I think that's or something it. Like that. Yes, that's it. Um, and you know, the 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 cargo ship comes in once a month. Yes. And if the cargo ship doesn't come in, people aren't going to eat. I mean, that's what that's what you really depend on. That one ship once a month with all the goods and supplies. Yes, but mind you, we we, we grow we grow some of our own, we grow our own vegetables, bananas, and and uh, and the other thing too is uh, uh, fish as well. The fish fish is very 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 plentiful as well. And well, I will tell you this: if the truth <laughs> be told, yesterday I went out with Craig. We went we went fishing. We got on his boat. We went maybe a quarter of a mile mm. and got a strike, and I caught three tuna. Oh, fantastic! But wait, it gets better because Craig insisted that. We then clean the fish on the boat and cook the fish on the boat, and that was the freshest tuna I've ever had. Fantastic. Yellowfin tuna all the way. That's good, because the thing is, being isolated here, uh, you have to grow up to be very resourceful. So, so um, yeah, you've got to do things for yourself. That's the very cu- that's the culture of the place here. You know, we build our own houses, family homes. We don't we, we, uh, we build family homes. Yeah, you're not looking at condominiums here. No. <laughs> no. I don't know where you would put them first. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. No, th- these are small homes. Uh, and, and they're and they're built, you know, into the hills too. That's right. Yes. So so as a result a result of that, yes, helping ourselves now. At seventy three percent of Islanders are in their own family homes that we've built ourselves. When you say built, if you don't have the skills, you, you don't have the skills. You also get uh, you also get help from family. Family is critical to to, to the island. Family is what hold, holds us all together. Family and community. So you get you get help from family. You get help from friends. You get help from the from the community as well. And then of course one of your distinguishing characteristics, I have to admit, is yeah. Jacob's ladder. Okay. Um, you know, it was first built a long time ago. It was a rope ladder then. Yes. And then it was replaced in the 1800s by steps. Yes. 699 steps to sure. be exact mm. and at the age of what how old are you uh, uh at the last count i was 82 okay <laughs> you still climb that ladder 
Yeah, I, I don't do it regularly now. What happened was... You did it yesterday. Yeah, not very far. But the thing is, uh, when I grew up, um, schooling was only up until 15, so we didn't have purpose-built schools. So the fort had some spare rooms up there. So I did my secondary schooling up in the fort, and that's why I went up and down the ladder. Yeah, but you didn't just step up the ladder. You slid down the ladder. Oh, yeah, come on. You know, if there's something about you as a kid, you learn to do these things. And it's like learning to ride a bicycle. You never you never, you never, never lose the art, you know, so you can do it at 82. As well, though. and you actually have a contest. At least, at least I remember the contest of yeah. running up the running up the steps, yes. which I will not be doing, by the way. But no. whoever won it won it like in what five minutes? Five or minutes, just something like that. Just under five, yes. Oh my God! But the point is, it's still there. It's lit up at night. Yes, and it's 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 a distinct part of the history here, and oh, and, yes. and, and actually the culture. Oh yes, it's a real icon. It is now the latter, yeah. Right, but no more the RMS ship. The RMS ship doesn't come in anymore. It's been mm. sold. You opened up the airport, so the only ship that really comes in here on a regular basis is the freighter it comes in once a month Mm. with all the containers of everything you need other than bananas um (laughs) and and uh Mm -hmm. that's a big deal when that ship when that ship comes in yeah sure but we we also um get something like four or five cruise ships in in our summer coming as well yes yes but the thing is some of these bigger cruise ships actually exceed the number of people who live on saint helena so you have to be careful (laughs) we don't want to get flooded no in fact i believe at one point you did uh, so now you're you're encouraging ships of under 1,000 passengers. Yes, all right. Something uh, we can cope with. Something you can cope with. Yeah. I mean, with a with a police department of 30 and a fire department of eight, yeah. uh, you can't deal with 6,000 passengers coming off the ship at the same time. Well, I don't think they behave themselves. Well you, well, you know they're not. You absolutely know they're not going to behave themselves. Because um, one of the things that happens here is people love to drink their beer. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 people like uh, we enjoy ourselves here, you know. Not because it's a little community. We we make our own life. We make a living. We make a life. We have a life that we enjoy. Exactly. It is amazing to me, given all my travels, to be able to come to a place that is so new and yet so old at the same time, so small and yet so big of heart. So much history here, ranging from the Dutch and the British to Napoleon himself. You can't go about eight feet here without at least looking at a Napoleon picture somewhere. For those of you who know the show and know me, you know that I love the water. I love going out on the water. I live on a boat in in California. So for me, coming to an island is always a special treat. And coming to this island is a very special treat because of what you get to do around the island. And and joining me now, uh, someone I had the pleasure of going out with yesterday, took me fishing on his boat, Craig Gunn, who's also the co-owner of the Blue Blue Lantern Hotel. Craig, what was amazing to me is that within maybe 15 minutes of leaving the, the, the anchorage, we were hit by tuna. We, we just, boom, we got a, a yellowfin tuna, and then boom, another yellowfin tuna. It was like, it was almost as if you set me up, but you didn't. Good evening, Peter. No, um, that wasn't a setup. Um, that is pretty normal. In the season, um, you're quite likely to hit a tuna just outside the bay. Which is what we did. Yeah, we were a few minutes from, from the landing, um, and we had a yellowfin tuna. And then, of course, what you did, which was even more amazing, is you cleaned the fish, and we either had sashimi or you microwaved the fish, and we had seared tuna, like that you could not get fresher tuna. I think I timed it, and I think we had that tuna within eight minutes from the time it was caught and landed (laughs) and cleaned and cooked within eight minutes. And what was also quite remarkable to me, coming from all the places where I usually travel, is how clear the water is, how clean the water is, and how much wildlife there is. We're not just talking about fish, we're talking about bird life. Yes, Peter, we're very um, fortunate to what we have on the island. Um, As you saw for yourself yesterday, the water is blue, Uh, the visibility in general is about this time of the year is about 30 meters. Um, and then we are fortunate to have the dolphins around us throughout the year, pretty much 90% throughout the year. And the whale sharks. Whale sharks and, and humpback whales. Whale sharks is currently our number one. It's amazing. And, and yet the island is so small. It's only 47 square miles. It's basically six by 10 miles if you really wanted to get specific. It's, what, 4,500 people? That's it? That's right, yeah. And as an operator of a boat, you have a challenge because if something breaks, you got to wait three months for the part. Well, it's not too bad now with the, with the help of the airport. Um, but yes, if something goes wrong with your boat, you need you need a backup plan. You need to your business needs to continue. And, and when you and when you think about it, this entire island, by definition, is a backup plan. <laughs> I mean, people never, at least historically, didn't come here by choice. They they came here because they were sent here or because they were sent to work here. Then they made the decision, a conscious one, to stay. I think once people get to the island and they, they actually see what we've got and how peaceful it is and how friendly the, 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 the locals, the people are of St. Leon, how friendly they are. They soon um, 
get drawn to the island? Well, I'm, I'll give you a sort of a devil's advocate question. And that is, with only 4,500 people on the island, it is almost by definition that you're going to be happy to see me because I'm the new guy. Yes, we always know who the new guys are when you walk down the street. Because if I don't know you, then obviously you're a visitor. But then you know me pretty well because I'm going to be here at least six days because that's how often the flights come in. Yeah, well, at the moment it's um, two flights a week, fortunately. Yeah, yeah, weather permitting. Weather permitting, yeah. Well, so it's, I, could, it's I, could, be, now, I yeah. could be here for two weeks. You uh, could. You could, but we don't want to look at that way. We want to say you can be <laughs> off in a few days. <laughs> yeah, you could. The bottom line is you've seen rapid change uh, with that airport. Yes, I have, yeah. But obviously, we like to see more change. Um, we like to see more tourists. But um, but we, isn't that a double-edged sword? Because if you want more tourists, you have to have more hotel rooms. You have to have more infrastructure. You have to more. You have to have, I hate to use the expression, more attractions and more activities. And then you reach that point of diminishing returns in every study you've ever done at a university where it becomes loved too much. Yeah, you're probably right in a way. But I think... Um, I think those people coming to St. Lena, they've done their research. They've, they know what they're coming to. Um, in my, my they're not coming to party. Exactly, yeah. They've, they're coming for, for a reason. They need, from my point of view, um, I'm a marine tour operator, so they're obviously coming for the whale sharks, they're coming for the scuba diving, or they're coming for the history, the hiking, um, the friendliness of the island, um, the peace and tranquility. That is what they're coming for. Or the tuna. Or the tuna. Which is what we did yesterday. Or the wahoo. Or the wahoo. Oh, by the way. Every fish here has a nickname, doesn't it? Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Okay, so let's go through this. Eel? Conga. Uh, tuna? Uh, if it's a small tuna, they call them sour bellies. Because? Uh, I suppose back in the day, um, the older generation used to think that if you eat a small tuna, it will give you pain in the belly. And I think hence that's where the, the phrase came from, a sour belly tuna. Toto, I'm feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. like to find expats wherever I go, either American or others. I've got a British expat joining me now who actually came here a couple of years ago as an economist working for the government and then made the remarkable decision to stay. Nicole Shamir, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you, Peter? Okay, so you just decided you're going to get, get a government contract, come to work on this place you probably didn't know a whole lot about, but you said, you know what, I'll probably just do it. And then what happened? Mm, it was a bit of a gamble. Um, at the time, there was only the ship coming here. Yeah. So it was very remote. And you know what? They have a, a bit of a joke here saying, um, you know, those who come and live on an island, you're either running from something or running to something. And usually there's a question pretty on it early on. As well, to now, you, now you're making me ask the question. Which were you? <laughs> Probably running from the busy world of London. Uh, it gets too much sometimes. <laughs> okay, so we've established that you're a runner. <laughs> yes. But then you stayed. Yes, I've stayed so far, certainly. And now you're a blogger. Yes. Writing all about St. Helena. Exactly. So I write about um, the walks, the social life, the things to do, um, how it feels when you meet new friends, how it feels when, when they leave, um, all of those kind of things. You know, when you go to the airport for that, it used to be once a week, now it's a twice a week flight. When you go to the airport, it's a big event here. Mm -hmm. Everybody shows up at the airport because it's a big deal. You know if the plane shows up, there'll be new people. And also, you probably know who these people are before they've even arrived. And that hasn't changed from the days of the boat. Although with the boat, and I've had friends who've taken the boat, they loved it because in the five days it took to get here from Cape Town, everybody got to know each other before they got off the ship. So by the t they had made all their friends. By the time they got off that ship, everybody was friends. Definitely. And you also go, go cold turkey on the no phones thing on the boat. So it's a real sociable atmosphere, and you get into this whole new life before you even get here. So you had to be deprogrammed. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, anywhere else I go, I'm, I'm staring at my phone, I'm walking down the street, I'm on a conversation. Here, there's no point in carrying the phone because I'm not going to be using it. I actually have to talk to people. Exactly. And I, I didn't actually have a mobile here until um, very recently. Well, they didn't have a mobile here until very recently. <laughs> exactly. This is true. So what was the biggest surprise when you got off that ship? The landscapes. You, um, you watch sea for, for days, uh, for miles, and all of a sudden this huge 
island just comes out of nowhere and you think oh my goodness this is so high and you travel up one of the um the, the sides of the valley and it's steep it's really steep and you get to the top and you can just see sea for miles and within the within the island itself uh, you've got areas which look like desert areas which have rolling hills areas which look like tropical um you know tropical places with banana trees and areas that look like moonscapes exactly it's just it's unbelievable how small this place is but yet there's so much variety here what i love about it is you only have 4500 people on the whole island it's what 47 square miles that's it um and if you want to hide out you can really hide out mm. Definitely. And conversely, though, since everybody knows everybody, they're all going to know that you are hiding out. <laughs> yeah, this is true. It's really funny um, when you get here and people are asking, you know, who are you? They're all interested. What are you doing here? What's, what's this about you? And I think in the first week, um, I was quite surprised because people can find you. You know, um, my boss found me in um, the doctor's once. Um, I came in a bit late. I said, sorry, sorry, boss, I was in the doctor's. He said, no, I know. I called your home. I called your friend. And then I called the doctor's surgery and found out you were there. And I know you were all right. So <laughs> that was just a bit of a shock to me. The other thing is, you better have some friends here because that's all you got. Meaning, if you have a party, what happens? Everybody shows up. Everybody shows up. Yeah, exactly. And I, I silly, stupidly took lots of books here. I took um, a sewing machine here. People plan to write or learn a language here. And you get here and you realize that actually you're going to have a big social life because there are things going on. Everyone turns up um, and, and it, everyone knows each other. Is it ever boring? I've never been bored here. Not once. And you stayed? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's really different. Different um, from the UK, and and one thing I re really reflected on was particularly how little advertising is here. How um, sometimes you are away from the real world um, with with all of its uh, its terrorism and all of its you know big scary uh, stressful stuff, um, and you can get away from it here, and 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 that's a real positive. Oh, listen, based on what's going on, I can I can give you my own uh, personal news report. It's good that I'm here this week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, when you think about it, sometimes cutting off is the best thing you can. Do. Then you got. Then you have to reprogram back in. That's tough. Yeah, that is really tough. So, are you staying for a while? I am. I've got a little holiday to go back to Christmas. This is my first winter in three years, so I'm really going to struggle. If you are continuing on to another southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. What does Norman, Oklahoma have to do with St. Helena? Well, my next guest knows the answer to that. She was uh, living there, going to school nearby, and then decided to do something else. And here she is in St. Helena, in Jamestown. Her name is Emma Weaver. She's the CEO of South Atlantic Media Services. You're a journalist who actually got here by crowdfunding. Yes, I am. And now, if truth be told, your mom is, is a saint. She is. She's from St. Helena. Your dad is from? From London. As it should be, of course. <laughs> and But you really wanted to come and check it out. Yeah. Basically, um, it was also partly journalism that brought me back. Um, so I had just graduated from the University of Oklahoma with a journalism and mass communication degree. And what are you going to do with that degree? And what are you going to do with that degree? So obviously there's a lot of talk about journalism now, and I didn't really want to help just flood the market in the States. There were personal reasons I wanted to come to St. Helena as well as... Well, I, family. Family, definitely, and a cultural experience I'd never gotten to have before. Um, obviously, I went from very landlocked Oklahoma to a very not landlocked tiny little island, and that is quite a strange leap maybe, but I managed to write for The Guardian while I was still in university. In the UK? Um, yes, the, Gar the Guardian UK, um, about St. Helena Airport. Um, so I sort of saw that there might be some kind of, of news hole here, something I could do here that might Are you trying to tell me that news happens in St. Helena? <laughs> oh, I get that question all the time. How do you have enough to report on? And so much news happens on St. Helena. <laughs> and well, first of all, when you came here to report on the airport, you came by ship. Yes, I did. <laughs> on one of the last voyages of that ship. Um, I got to watch the last bit of concrete being laid at the runway of the airport, which was very cool. And... If truth be told, you've never taken the plane. I have not taken the plane <laughs> as of yet, no. I've only ever come to this island by ship. <laughs> All right, so you got here, you wrote one or two stories for The Guardian. Yes. But that's not going to feed your face. It's not, no. So I originally came here with that crowdfunded project called Six Months a Saint, thinking I could do some international coverage, cover some of the environment, some and, of the And by the way, things. a saint means someone who's from St. Helena. It does, yes. Um, and then while I was here, I figured out that maybe there was more I could do here locally. Um, the South Atlantic Media Services announced it was folding. 
and there was an opportunity for me to get into local news here. And so six months a saint became, at this point, almost two years a saint. <laughs> and you're staying. I, I am, for the foreseeable future, staying on the island. And is there enough news? There is definitely. Well, let's talk news. about that for a second, because an island like this is a perfect case study, if you will, on travel and tourism. Because if you say, you know, what's the GDP of St. Helena, other than travel and tourism right now, I can't think of it, right? You are dependent on that for at least the base of your economy, and yet you're limited by that because of infrastructure. Yeah. You know, only two flights a week. You don't have 80,000 hotel rooms, which, by the way, is a good thing that you don't have 80,000 hotel agree. rooms. <laughs> uh, you're not a major cruise ship port, although cruise ships do stop here, but they're not staying here, right? That's temporary. Yeah. So... It's almost a double-edged sword, isn't it? You need it, but you have to manage it. Yeah. So there was a period of investment before the airport. Then there were delays. There had been teething issues and all this, this stuff that sort of hinders. Now there are some tourists coming in by the flight, but it's a very different type of tourist. The tourists coming in on the, the RMS, they were almost looking for a slower-paced holiday. Um, they were prepared on that five-day RMS voyage for what they were coming to. Um, the sort of back-in-time things they were looking forward to, whereas now... And, and by the time they got here, they knew everybody on the ship who knew everybody at the island exactly. anyway, so they were already immersed. Yes, they settled in a bit to the island already. And um, the people who land by plane today? Yeah, so they have a different set of expectations. They're more the type of traveler that, you know, they've caught flights, they've made those flights, they now get to the island, and in seven days they want to do as much as they possibly can. And so when maybe there's not food places open on a Wednesday afternoon, things like that, um, that type of traveler. Let me let me clue my audience in. St. Helena closes early, <laughs> right? Yes. You're not known for your nightlife. No. You're not known for your movie theaters, of which you have none. Indeed. You're not known for your bowling alleys, of which you have none. <laughs> you're, not look, you know, you, you're not known for your rush hour, of which you have none. Yep. <laughs> uh, you're not known for your crime, of which you have little. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of pluses here. Yeah. But the point is, the pace is going to be wildly different than any other place you've ever been. Wildly so, yes. And and how do you adjust? That is, that is a good question. I think for tourists, it's probably quite difficult. Because if you're only here for seven days, and you've paid quite a bit of money to get here, you've spent quite a bit of time traveling here then you want to do as much as possible in those seven days so when things aren't open or aren't possible then you know it's a bit of a downfall maybe but for a resident I would say I I think it surprised me how well I've adjusted and how little it's bothered me that there is less stuff than there is in these states um, I mean look let's face it you're a rebel <laughs> you are thank you right <laughs> I mean you left you left home you left school you came thousands of miles away to immerse yourself in a society that you didn't really quite know at the time right mm -hmm. and you're still here. Yes. So most of your friends think you're nuts. Yep, probably. <laughs> uh, right? I sometimes think I'm nuts too. <laughs> but you're staying. But I'm staying. Why? That is such a good question. I think that the amount of personal development that I can get here is absolutely insane. And that ranges from, you know, I, I own chickens now, for instance, which in Oklahoma what? I would never have what? dreamed of. But What we, do you know about chickens? I Well, now I know some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing is, otherwise you can't really get fresh eggs, you know. And I have a little garden now for herbs because otherwise I might not be able to get them. I can cook better. Um, I can be a bit more self-sufficient. I know things aren't at my fingertips. I can't have as much internet as I want. I can't just go to the shop. I can't just go to a restaurant all the time. And that is, for someone that grew up in the States, definitely a leap, I think. But And you can't shop on Amazon. No, <laughs> definitely not. This is the one place, I don't care about their drones, this is the one place they are not delivering right away. <laughs> It would take probably months for something to get here. And when you mail a letter? Uh, my mom mailed me a birthday card one time from the island, and it took two years to get to me. <laughs> that wasn't a hint? <laughs> <laughs> I still took the leap. <laughs> you still took the leap. What would you like to see changed? Um, I think that obviously... Without destroying the fabric of the reason why you're here. Yeah, yeah. So I think one, one big thing that is good that I am seeing is the amount of environmental work and environmental funding that's going on and I the change I would like to see is for that to keep happening. Um, there are over 30% of the biodiversity in the whole of the UK and the overseas territories is on this island and that is an amazing statistic and just protecting all of that biodiversity. Um, funding is a problem island-wide but there has been some initiatives, some more funding going on and I think that's a positive change. One of the things I noticed immediately is that the water's clear. Yes. Uh, it's swimmable. It's not outrageously cold. Yeah. The fishing is amazing. Amazing. I went fishing literally uh, yesterday, and within maybe 16 minutes, I caught three tuna. Yes. <laughs> well and we done. ate them, right? Yeah. I mean, 
Who gets to do that? It is a very different experience here, definitely. I go fishing off the rocks all the time, which is also something I didn't do in Oklahoma. <laughs> no, wait, when you see, I was on a boat. When you go fishing off the rocks, you have to be careful. Yeah, definitely. You have to sort of be aware of the tide. and You have to be very everything. aware of the tide. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not on the rocks for long. Yeah, which is why I'm glad the locals know what they're doing. And do you actually catch fish? I do. And what, I, and what are you catching? Um, so jack, a lot of the time, there is uh, what we call old wife, which is silverfish, basically. Oh, by the way, every fish here has a nickname. Uh, it does. Uh, eel and is I, what? Eel is conga. Conger. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and uh, sour belly. I, f- I learned what a sour belly was. Uh, <laughs> a small tuna. Oh, okay. I didn't actually know so, that Aren't one. you glad we came into this? I, I am. Learn something every day. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. There is so much history here, and uh, prior to coming here, I, I read up on it because, you know, this is one of those islands that if you want to come here, you really have to want to come here. And what's amazing to me is, you know, this island, if you look at the history of the world, this island tells so much of it. Discovered by the Portuguese, then the Dutch came in, then the British beat them back. And it's been a British territory just about ever since. Uh, as you've heard earlier in the show, this is where Napoleon was exiled. Most people think it was just Elba, but that was his first, not his last. This was his last. Uh, and joining me now, like so many people I've been meeting here in St. Helena, uh, he's not a local to begin with, but he married a local or he hangs out with a local. No married yet. Not married yet. I'm sorry to blow that for you. <laughs> Adam Sizen, who's the curator of the St. Helena Museum. But that's really why you're here, because you followed your girlfriend back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, I'm English, but I met her at university in England, uh, where we studied together. So she was like, at the end, I'm going back to my home now, which... Uh, and you got a choice, buddy. Yeah, it, it was sort of, well, where, you know, oh, it's, you know, this speck, as you say, in the, in the middle of the ocean. Did so. you know anything about it? Well, as a historian, I knew, obviously, the Napoleonic connection and a few other bits and pieces to do with the East India Company, but not much, to be honest. And now you're the curator of the museum. Yeah, how about that? So, when you, I mean, how many of the artifacts tell those stories now? They go back four or 500 years. Yeah, so we cover, obviously, um, pretty much, we try and cover a little bit before discovery, like the formation of the island geology and so on, but right. it's mainly the human history. So, 1502, right up until, as well, the modern day, basically, yeah, so... Right, discovered by the Portuguese. Yeah, so discovered by the Portuguese by accident in 1502. By the way, let's go back and talk about Columbus. He discovered America by accident. Let's get that straight. (laughs) It's all an accident. Yeah, well, you know, they're sort of, they know where India is, and they want to get to India to trade with uh, the Indians who have precious uh, materials, trade goods and spices and all sorts of stuff like that that they couldn't get back in Europe. So on the way back, they sort of stumble upon this piece of land. Yeah, they took a left turn, and here they are. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But once here, everybody started coming. Yeah, so it didn't... So they tried to keep it a secret for... I think they managed to do that for a couple of decades, but um, eventually the Dutch found out the French, English, and so on. So then everyone just came here as... Well, its point where it's located is quite a strategic location. And everybody came here at a time when everybody had a navy. Yeah, so um, basically they were all sailing for the same reason to India to get these uh, precious goods, bring them back for trade, make a lot of money. And they needed somewhere to stop on the way back to get supplies and water and so on. And next thing you know, a little uh, conflict breaks out. Yes. (laughs) Well, yeah, quite a few. So obviously being competing competing with each other for trade, they needed this island. Um... And England were the first people to sort of try this permanent settlement. And uh, it was the Dutch that then came in and tried to take it off them. We beat them back. And, and as you say, then it stayed English ever since. Right. And, you know, not too many royal visitors, but it's still a British territory. It is. We've had a few, actually. We've had um, the Duke of Connaught in the eight, late 19th century. We've had, actually, 
the only reigning monarch to ever visit was in 1947. That uh, was uh, King George and his daughters, who, well, one of them later became Queen Elizabeth II. So, I've been watching yeah. The Crown, don't worry. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but the bottom line is, you are really an outpost here. Yes, we are, yeah. And the thing is, for a long time, you had a situation where the only way to get here, just like the Dutch and the, and the French and the Brit, was by boat. It was, and for so long it still was, up until only very recently. Exactly. You took the RMS Helena, yep. right, the, the Royal Mail Ship yep. what, from Cape Town? Yeah, so, well, it actually, way back when it first started, it used to come all the way from the UK. Right. And sailed then via the Canary Islands, which were part of Spain, past Ascension, it used to stop at Ascension, then certainly then to Cape Town, and then back all the way again. That's a long haul. Well, it was a two-week voyage, yeah. So wow. Quite a long time to spend on a ship. And, but that ship but that ship kept on coming until about, what, a year ago? Uh, it ended, what was it, last February, yeah. Yeah, mm. and that's because you built an airport. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the impact of that airport, because that could very easily change the history of this island. And it probably already has. We're talking to Adam Sizem, who's the curator of the St. Helena Museum. History touched St. Helena in so many different ways, whether it was the slave trade, the Boer Wars, the Dutch, the British, and, of course, the person that people come to see the most here, Napoleon. He was exiled here in 1815. Yeah, so... The island, it's so isolated, but as you said, so many people came here um, because of that strategic... Its it's location basically meant that it was the only piece of land for miles and miles and miles. You needed to stop on the way back in the age of sail if you were going to get supplies. So, yeah, it's a a small island, but amazing how many people came here. And, of course, when Napoleon lost the the Battle of Waterloo, the British said, "Okay, we interned you once in Elba and you escaped. (laughs) Then you tried to fight us at Waterloo. We won. So now we're going to try to find a place to send you to that no one can get to, yeah. <laughs> and you will never leave. They, they wanted and, to make sure. And, yeah. Yeah, and, they, and they picked St. Helena, and they were right. Yeah, well, he, you know, he died here. so he, And he was actually buried here um, before, uh, a bit later, the French came to take his body away now in Paris. Yeah, yeah. and what I love about this story about him is that when he was exiled here, he came with a, a small entourage, and they put him ultimately in a place called Longwood House, which is a beautiful location. Of course, he hated St. Helena, and he hated Longwood House, and the only consolation was that the British gave his entourage a ration, a daily ration of 40 kilos of beef, Mm. nine chickens, and here's the best part, 17 bottles of wine a day. Yeah, a day. It was huge. And that was for like a very small amount of people uh, at the end of it. And I think they had so much that they had basically they just sort of sold it off on the side, you know, (laughs) troops, people who wanted this stuff, you know, who couldn't get it otherwise. And if you go to visit Longwood House, and you should, there are some great stories that are told there about here was a guy who was only allowed to leave the premises under guard. Uh, He couldn't really go anywhere. They didn't want him to escape again. Uh, He used to go doing some walks in the Seine Valley. And then when when he died, that's where he was buried. But in his will, which, by the way, is displayed at Longwood House, and it's a long will in French, by the way. But in his will, he specifically said he wanted to return to France to be with the people he loved so much. Well, he died in 1821. Yeah. It took 19 years for somebody to do something about it. That's right. He was buried. His tomb is still there. And people can go visit it, but I got a little news bulletin for you. Elvis has left the building. (laughs) Well, Um, it's a beautiful valley. It's a beautiful... Oh, it's it's so peaceful and, and gorgeous. But what you're looking at is a tomb, but there's no body in there. No. Uh, he's back in Paris. It yes, has been yeah. since 1840. Yeah, So, and he, well, he picked, he chose that, that was the place he'd want to be buried because of its beauty. And, but like you say, he did want to return to France. Um, you know, his, he had a wife and he... he had a believed, second wife. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and he, he believed that he belonged to the nation. So um, it was the British that allowed this to happen. We, we allowed the French to come and, and remove his body. And today, that house is still maintained by the French consul it is, yeah. here in uh, St. Helena, yeah. who probably has the best job going. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what does the French consul do on an island like this? Well, yeah, I mean, like, manage the properties, but it is a, a beautiful set of properties. It is. And uh, so much history there, so many stories uh, in, that I imagine, you know, a, a fly on the wall would be able to tell you all kinds of stuff. And they've managed to preserve so much of the original furniture. Um, the pool table mm. alone is like, excuse me, this is quite a pool table. <laughs> But his bathtub, his bed, um, his uh, his uniforms. Yeah, everything. Uh, everything. It's, it's all original. Even his shoes. Yeah. And when you see his shoes, you'll realize all those pictures of him being short were real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was not a big guy. No, no. And he only died, I think, at the age of 52. Yeah, I mean, he, he died of uh, cancer. He had a, um, complications that arose from that. Um, so he didn't live to old age. Uh, 
No, but the, but interestingly, he lived well. He did, he did he, very well, he yeah. He lived as an emperor. I mean, he was a prisoner, essentially, but... In, in looked, a luxury hotel. It, we looked after him <laughs> as if he was royalty, yeah. Well, they were, you were giving him some well, respect, but with certain privileges denied. Yeah, I mean, I think he was a man that deserved a, a modicum of respect after his achievements, but he was still considered an enemy of, of Britain and certainly most of Europe. And now you've come into the 21st century for the first time you have an airport here. We do, yes. With two flights a week, and of course I like to warn everybody, if you miss a flight coming in, you're not coming, and if you miss the, going, the flight going back, you're not leaving. Yeah, basically. Uh, the, the second flight's only just started, so it's kind of new, but it's been yeah. good so far. Um, weekly flights on Saturday, and we're barring a few delays, you know, as you say, um, it's been really good for the island, I think. Although, I kind of missed the boat. Yeah, uh, it certainly had its charm. If you don't mind spending five days on a boat, where you know you get great food and it's really good company, almost like it's part of the the trip coming here. It's part of, it's the, part of the experience. experience. Yeah. yeah, but you know, sadly, we don't have that anymore. And of course, your economy is totally dependent these days when you think about it on tourism. Yeah, I mean the shift. You know, there's no, there's no natural resources on the island. Um, there's been a few attempts at setting up various industries over the last few centuries, but none of them have succeeded. So it's what we need: tourism. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. We've been talking throughout the show about the history of this very special island, a small island, only 47 square miles, only 4,500 people, a police force of under 30, a fire department of about 10, and everybody's happy. It's it's one of those splendid, beautiful moments of isolation that we all think we want, and then every once in a while, if we're lucky, we get a chance to get it. Don't look for uh, free Wi-Fi. Don't look for any Wi-Fi. It's uh, it's there, but not, easy to, not easily gotten. Don't look for a lot of cell phone connectivity. Don't look for any movie theaters. Don't look for any bowling alleys. Basically, just look around, and you'll see why the people who live here love it here. And if you're looking for history, my next guest knows a little bit about that. He's been writing and blogging about a very famous visitor to this island, someone who came against his will, otherwise known as Napoleon Bonaparte, the former emperor who was exiled here by the British after he lost the Battle of Waterloo in, uh, in 1815 and was sent to about as far away places as the British could and to send him so he wouldn't escape again. Most people think that, that you know, it was just he was exiled in Elba, which, well, he was, but he escaped. And next, next stop was Waterloo, where he lost, and the British said, okay, we're not making the same mistake twice. You're headed for St. Helena. And joining me now to talk about that, uh, the writer and blogger and a Napoleon freak, <laughs> John Tyrell. How are you, sir? Okay, I'm not sure I'm a Napoleon freak, but I'll let you get away with that one if you wish. I, I, I well, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but let's let's put it this way: you you've been fascinated with Napoleon's history for quite some time. You've been to Saint Helena. You visited where Napoleon was exiled. I'm sure you went to see his tomb. I'm sure that you've seen all the other artifacts that basically surround this entire island because he was so much a part of the history back in the 1800s. Oh yes, no, I've been to Saint Helena Saint Helena twice. I mean, one one thing I I would say about your introduction, it's mostly right what you say that the, the British put Napoleon on Saint Helena because he wouldn't escape, but in fact there was talk of putting Napoleon on Saint Helena while he was still on Elba, and there are many people who believe that's one of the reasons why he decided to go back to France because uh, he he was frightened on Elba that he was <laughs> going to be kidnapped or assassinated or he was going to be sent to Saint Helena. So so basically so, so what that, so basically what you're saying to me is. That was in the newspapers while he was still on Elba. So basically what you're saying to me is Napoleon said anything but St. Helena, and guess what happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where he yes. ended up. Yes, he, was, he did not want to go to St. Helena, quite definitely. He wanted to go to America, or failing that, uh, he, he was prepared He was quite prepared to be exiled in, in the United Kingdom. When he, when he surrendered, he made it clear he wanted out, preferably to go to America, but uh, he would be happy to uh, spend the rest of his days in the United Kingdom. Well, it didn't work out that way, did it? It did not work out that way. Certainly it did not. <laughs> and I will tell you that I, I went and visited Longwood, where he was exiled, oh, yeah. a house that was essentially restored for him. 
it yeah. it was a I mean, by by all accounts, it was a, a a luxurious accommodation at the time. Even today, it would be described that way. He hated I'm it. I'm surprised to um, hear you say that. It was certainly far from luxurious. Um, and and the British government recognised right from the beginning that it was not suitable for Napoleon. Uh, and they considered. Oh uh, wait, wait. There's a difference, John. There's yeah. a difference. What was not suitable for Napoleon still could be luxurious. No, well, it wasn't luxurious. No, no way was it luxurious. Okay, I, mean, I would. There were, rats, I, there were rats there for, uh, for you know, for, for a start. It was. It was. Uh, John, there were rats in the castles too. Right. Okay. Well, it was. I, I, you're the first person I've heard who said that Longwood was luxurious. I've never heard Longwood described as luxurious. Um, okay. Well, I guess, I guess I have to get a new interior decorator. But the the bottom line is, based on the island lifestyle here, it was luxurious. Um, well. Okay. Yes. If if you <laughs> if you want to look at how the slaves were being treated on St. Helena at the time, yes, it was luxurious. But there were a, a number of very fine houses on the island which certainly compared very favorably with Longwood. And, you know, there well, was, then we're there talking was, about the same thing. There were seven or eight okay. of them. And obviously Plantation House was, was uh, much more luxurious than, uh, than Longwood. Well, let's put it this way. A choice between Longwood and a prison, I would still pick Longwood. Um, yeah, but nobody ever considered that Napoleon should go into a prison. Right, but he thought Longwood was a prison because he was under guard. He was limited. Oh, yes. I mean, he was limited. I mean, he, he was severely or, or, restricted there. Yes, yeah. but, uh, but it was meant to be um, a, a, an accommodation suitable for uh, a general, as they uh, insisted on calling him, and uh, and his servants and his entourage. It was it was not uh, ever considered to be like a Newgate prison or somewhere like that. Uh, that that's a total I misconception. Understand. I understand. But the bottom line is, he never really wanted to be here. He never oh, no. liked it when he was here, uh, he and and he was here for five and a half years until he died at the age of fifty-two. Yeah, um, I mean he, and, he and considered he was, it un, unjust and dishonorable of the British to have imprisoned him on Saint Helena. I mean it was never clear why was he there. I mean a prisoner of war normally is freed at the end of the uh, uh, end of the war, and uh, and so he, you know he, he surrendered. And 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 I have to say many English people at the time thought it was an incredibly dishonorable of the British to actually send him to St. Helena. You know, he, he, he surrendered in good faith, saying he wanted to go to, to America or Britain. So uh, uh, that, that was his attitude. And in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the values and culture of the day, this was unprecedented um, to put a, a leader of, a, of a, a, a defeated leader in exile like that. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. As I said earlier on the show, how do you get here? Well, in the old days, you used to have to take a mailboat. This mailboat, very high seas often, would take up to two or three weeks to get there, which meant if you got off the mailboat when you got to St. Helena, you had to wait for another three months or three weeks, I should say, to get back. Well, guess what? They built an airport. And now there are flights coming in once every five or six days. So you know you're going to get five days here when you come. You have no choice in the matter. The mailboat's long gone. And uh, after the second day, and you realize... This ain't so bad. This is quite remarkable. And as we see the development in the cruise industry of always searching for new ports of call, try to one-up each other, I can very much tell you that that St. Helena is, is on the map. And joining us now to talk about that and some of that history is one of our good pals who comes to us whenever we can find him when he's not out at sea, Peter Canego. How are you, sir? Hey, Peter. I'm doing great. How fantastic that you're in St. Helena. You know, that was on my bucket list, but I never got around to it when they still had the nice RMS St. Helena sailing there from the U.S. I know. That was that was the boat. Uh, friends of mine actually took it, and it was really, really cool because, you know, they would stamp their uh, their postage stamps with with that pat, with that you know postmark, and people had no idea where they were coming from. <laughs> right, because she literally was a mail ship. That the, the main reason the ship was built was to carry the mails and also to carry the the various guests that would want to go there for visits, and sometimes they would bring people off and, you know, go to the mainland. But mainly it was just, you know, to get the mails delivered and cargo, because it was such a remote place. And I guess they've had 
all kinds of problems with that airport because they were going to retire the RMS St. Helena, I think, three years ago or so. And they did And, yeah, the airport wasn't quite done to speculation or it wasn't quite working out. They had to do some more work, and they kept the ship around, and now they finally let her go. But I understand it's a rather rough flight getting in there. It's a very tight landing, and uh, it, is? it has its share of challenges. Well, you fly first from Johannesburg, and you mm. make a stop en route. You want to guess where you're stopping? Mm. I will defer that to you. <laughs> you stop in Windhoek in Namibia, uh, and then wow. and and that's that's called a technical stop. No passengers are allowed to get off the plane. They refuel, and off you go directly to St. Helena. And the flight wow. happens once every, I think, six days. So once you're committed oh to going, you're there for six days, no matter what. What do you plan to be doing there? Well, we're shooting my television show here, part of our, our Hidden Gem series. You know, normally when we do a Hidden Gem series, we're talking about, you know, the hidden gems of Atlanta or the hidden gems of Memphis or the hidden gems of North Lake Tahoe, things that you're not going to find on the Guidebooker brochures that we're going to show you and they have to be accessible to you and offer you a great, you know, where applicable, you know, cultural immersion and et cetera, et cetera. But in the case of St. Helena, the entire island's a hidden gem because nobody <laughs> knows anything about it. So we're having a field day here. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how we make all this work within the confines that we have on camera, but I'm very happy I came down. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing that. Um, I'm going to get some tips from you then if I ever do get there. And maybe <laughs> maybe one of the long cruises, like on Silver Sea that you know does the western coast of Africa, maybe one of those will stop there occasionally and, and bring people like, like the old St. Helena did or the wonderful Union Castle line ships that used to sail around Africa from the U.K., yeah. Well, I will. I will definitely let people, you know, know what's going on here because, from an accessibility point of view, remember that there's the plane, the, the mailboat's gone. We're now dealing with one flight every five or six days. So if you miss that plane, you're either not going or you're stuck already. You know, depending on where you're going from. It's it's a it's a wild wild ride, and uh, but well worth it. Great. Hey, speaking speaking of wild wild rides and well worth it, we're watching now as every cruise line tries to, to one-up each, one each other in terms of picking different ports that nobody even knew existed. You know, Silver Sea, you mentioned. Well, they're going to Bangladesh. They're going to the Russian Far East. They may be going to the, some of the Andaman Islands in, in India. I mean, that represents a big change from your traditional port of call. Yeah, I think it's a good thing, though. And it makes perfect sense because as people take more and more cruises and cruisers become more sophisticated, they don't necessarily want to go back to St. Thomas and Venice and all of the big ports where, you know, the, the ships are kind of overwhelming the locals. They want to go to see new and exciting places. And you really exactly. have to go to the far ends of the earth to, to find places that haven't been exploited because there are so many ships now. And what, what the cruise lines are doing, which I think is very smart, is when they find these places, they're not just showing up at 8 o'clock in the morning and sailing at 5 in the afternoon. They might show up at, you know, 2 in the afternoon but stay overnight and leave 2 o'clock the next afternoon, giving people a chance to, you know, not to race back to the ship, uh, you know, when 5 o'clock rolls around, but they can actually eat in the towns and, and, and actually immerse themselves with the people. Yeah. No, it's very I mean, smart. It's, yeah. it's very good thing for savvy cruisers. Uh, the options that we have nowadays, it's so much better than it was as far as the ports and the, and the choices and itineraries are concerned than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. So it'll be interesting. And then hopefully these places will manage to keep their mystique and not get spoiled by everybody exactly. discovering them, you know. Well, so. then, you know, there's always that. Uh, just yeah. ask the folks who live in Nihau, um, you know, <laughs> uh, in, in Hawaii. Uh, right. But, but the good news is, you know, if you've never taken a cruise before and you want to do like that three-day trip to Mexico or that three-day trip to the Bahamas or even, you know, a seven-day trip, uh, it's still the appetizer. It's still the appetizer, and you get to come back and then do the traditional ports, you know, the seven-day Caribbean cruise, and then step it up because where these ships are going never would have happened 10 years ago, right? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. They didn't have infrastructures, and, and people just weren't that interested. And plus, 10 years ago was a very bad time in the in the cruise industry. That was when the recession was hitting and the, you know, the smaller cruise lines were sort of disappearing or getting gobbled up by the bigger lines. And they weren't thinking about, you know, new frontiers. They were thinking about just the bottom line of survival. So um, we're in a very good time right now with cruising. And the options out there are incredible. And the ships, 
it's it's astounding what they're doing with these new ships and these new features on them. Um, I'm sort of I think it's sort of a double-edged sword because again it takes people away from the aspect of being at sea, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot to excite people that wouldn't necessarily want to go to sea on some of these new ships. Well, you know, the, the new ships I think are intentionally designed to become the destination. And to me, you know, there's some inside middle cabins now, I believe on on Royal Caribbean, where there are no windows, of course, but they put a window in with a with a with a loop of a video of what everybody else was seeing in real life two decks up. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, I think Disney started that um, with yeah. the dream, the dream and the fantasy. They gave him a special name, but literally it was like, yeah, you had they would, you know, beam a porthole, you know, on the wall kind of thing, and <laughs> and, <laughs> and it, it, hey, it's all about the impressions. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. Heard me talk about this earlier in the show. The St. Helena National Trust, a great nonprofit environmental fund, trying to preserve the culture and the environment here and the heritage on this amazing volcanic subtropical island. Joining me now, the director of the trust, Jeremy Harris. How are you, sir? Hi, very good, Peter. Thank you. Very good. Now, you've been around conservation all your life. That's right. Uh, but I would suspect that St. Helena presis- proposes, or, or I should say poses, and presents some unique challenges for you. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the island, uh, as well as the organization, I mean, it's an incredibly broad organization. We're dealing with the built, the cultural, and the natural heritage, so all in one. Um, and the island itself, I, I mean, I, I imagine you haven't been around here a little bit now. You've seen it changes as you go, you know, you you find yourself at one point you're at the Pacific, you know, uh, West Coast, and then the next minute you're somewhere in Tangiers, and, you know, after that you're in, oh, and, in and, Wales. And, it's very odd. And temperature changes that are, that are up and down. The higher you up, the colder it gets. And then That's it gets, exactly it's right, yeah. incredible. And the environment, the, the, the natural, the plants, the, 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 the insects and stuff, they all change as you go. So you find yourself in a totally different environment every, you know, every few minutes. It's well, incredible. you have more endemic bugs that's right. Than any place I've ever seen. Yeah, well, I think uh, certainly more than anywhere in the UK. So over the UK and the, uh, all of the overseas territories, and I forget the exact number, so, so I think it's 14, but um, we have 30% of, uh, of the endemic uh, species right here on this tiny little rock. So it's incredible. Really. And in the process of researching them, then you have to basically figure out how to protect them. That's exactly it. Yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, you're always going to face that challenge, um, particularly when, you know, you're trying to find the balance between both protecting them and and uh, finding places and niches for the for the people as well here. Yeah. So, what is your biggest challenge? That's interesting. I mean, it's the normal response, of course. I think for the it's nonprofit money. sector, is going to be money. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what a surprise! Um, but you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's actually the biggest challenge. It's certainly not um, the greatest thing I wrestle with. I think the the thing I wrestle with most is the question of progress over preservation. So, is this idea that? Um, and I think honestly, I think this is true for the global conservation movement as much as it's true for it for this tiny island i think you have to find a way that we can live on this planet and and make it work for us you know it's not just about preserving things and it's not just about uh, progressing things you know here's my question then on an island where the economy is so firmly tied to travel and tourism as as a hopeful base yeah you know you reach a certain point of diminishing returns or you can where too many people come and and all of a sudden the balance completely shifts yeah, I think I think that's an interesting quandary. I mean, I think the message we've already we've always had here is low volume, high value. I don't know if people are still peddling that, but um, it's not a cheap place to get to. And the other thing I would say is it's it's a it's a pretty unique offering. This isn't a mass market. Uh, tourism offering. I would well, the say. good news the is you, you don't have enough hotel rooms anyway. Well, there's that, I suppose. But, you know, I think what I've always felt about this place is you have something that's just incredibly authentic in a world that otherwise is pretty packaged. Um, you know, Sundalina has been cut off by um, essentially this blanket of Atlantic Ocean for the last 14 million years since it rose out of the uh, you know Mid-Atlantic Trench. So this, this is a place that's been quite literally uh, surrounded by an insulating blanket of ocean and the creatures have evolved such that you know they've become unique but in many ways you know I like you uh, mentioned earlier um, when talking to Napoleon this place you know was discovered 10 years after the U.S. more or less you know 1502 so it's pretty old actually uh, as well 
And the human, the human population here is, has uh, developed slowly. And we've only just, you know, a year and a bit ago, we got our first mobile phones. We just celebrated a year of bank cards here. You know, so we didn't have plastic oh, cards. And by the way, there's not a single ATM <laughs> no, in St. Helena. There you go. There you go. So you How got, about that? I know. It's incredible. It's incre- you know, we sit around at dinner and, you know, somebody will, will say, oh, yeah, I saw this, this uh, thing in, in the independent newspaper about such and such. And, you know, we don't get our phones out and Google it because we don't have Internet. So we discuss it. So it's one of these places you come to and there's an incredible authenticity to relationship and to, um, you know, everything that's done here. This, the, Jeremy Harris, you've just put your finger on it. You've revived the lost art of the conversation. I'm, I hope so. You know, I, I hope so. Hey, by the way, give us the website once again for the trust. It's www.trust.org.sh. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar. If you've been listening to the show, then you know that uh, you know what a saint is. Uh, it's somebody who's from this island. Only 4,500 people live here. A lot of them go off the island, and then some of them come back. One of my guests did just that. She's a local jewelry store owner, but she's also an expert on the island because she's from here. She's from Jamestown. Giselle Richards, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Fida. I mean, once you're here, I know you left to go to the U.K., and then you came back. But now that you're here and you've made friends in the UK, of course, now they all want to come and visit you <laughs> if they can find you. Yes. What's the biggest surprise to them when they get to the island? I think the biggest surprise for many of um, my friends and those who come from the UK, if they haven't already um, been to St. Helena, is that they feel as though you step back on time because things are very slow, very different here. Slow paced in a nice way, though. Well, I like to say you're not going to run out of numbers on your license plates. <laughs> Uh, you're not going to run out of digits on your phones, right? I mean, no. there. I mean, I don't know a license plate that's beyond four digits. I don't know a phone that's beyond five. That's right. Right. You still have a couple of phone booths in town. We do. You know what I did yesterday? I actually picked up the phone, and I wanted to know who's going to answer. Right. So I dialed for inquiries, and they answered. You have an operator. Well, we do. Well, we did until recently. So yes. Well, we somebody have... answered the phone when I called yeah. yesterday. <laughs> but I mean, isn't that part of the charm? It definitely is. I mean. I returned home after um, four years living in the UK. Um, initially, just to do a, I think I was going to do a three-year stint, and then I was going to head off. But then I fell totally back in love with my island, and I've, I've been here 10 years since. And what keeps you here? It's it's definitely a, the island life. It's the, the love that is surrounding um, each other within the community. It's our friendliness. And it's definitely um, being able to do something positive and make a very big impact on St. Helena in such a short space of time. And how do you do that? Um, with a good heart, first of all. Um, and because we've got such a small island, for example, I wanted to try and make a positive impact on um, showing young people that there is a possibility to do a business on the island. Instead of losing them to go outside. Instead of losing them to go outside. So all what I did, I basically set up my own business um, on the island and I've shown other youngsters that they can do the same. And I've done that in a relatively short space of time. So, And when you think about it, you can tell time here by a different way than using a clock. <laughs> you can tell time here by what day the plane lands. Yes. You can tell, used to be able to tell time by what day the ship came in. That's right. Right? And... At around, I'm, I'm not making this up, at around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Jamestown closes down. Yeah, it goes dead. It's, it's, um, it's home time, it's family time, it's spending time with your loved ones. Um, you see, no that's, something that, that, that's something that we've lost so much in the United States, the concept of the family unit. Absolutely. The concept of that time is important. Yes, definitely. And your family is here. Indeed, they are. And I've got my own little family now I've started, so I've got the big family and my own small family. What's the biggest challenge to you here on the island? One of the biggest challenges, I think, on this island is um, inaccessibility in terms of trying to get things to us in a short space of time. Well, listen, in the Internet Amazon world, <laughs> you, you know, you are the queen of instant gratification, which you cannot fulfill here. No, absolutely. There is no... I mean, if your car yeah. loses a muffler, you got to wait about two uh, and a half months. And, you know, and that, that um, term, instant gratification, is a completely new term here to St. Helena because... If Listen, we, you only had mobile. You've only had mobile phones for like the last three years. Absolutely. So you can't just order something and get it the next day. We have to wait three months or so. Now let me give you the flip side of that. Because of the pace, it actually engenders the lost art of the conversation. <laughs> yes. People actually talk to each other. We do. 
You don't see people walking down the street staring into their phone. Absolutely. If you do that, you'll be known as having no manners. Well, not only that, you won't get a signal anyway, so why are you doing that? You're delusional, right? But the point is, people, you could, I, I, the people who live here tell me they can walk maybe 500 feet and have seven conversations. Absolutely, yes. Yes, that's why we're always late. <laughs> but you have a good excuse. Yes. And you have witnesses. Yes. You've talked do. to everybody, and they've talked to you. Yes. What's the one thing you'd want to change? On St. Helena? Yeah. So tough question. Um, I think one of the things I want to change is um, St. Helena's taking a lot more pride in um, what we have to offer for ourselves. You know, we always look outside and think that the grass is greener, but I think what we have here is something special, and I really love our locals to appreciate that a bit more. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can walk, you can hike, you can bike, you can swim, you can fish, all in a very small island. Absolutely. That's amazing. And the bottom line, you're still British. Yes. Who knew? <laughs> yes, we are. Unbelievable. Giselle Richards, thank you so much for, for coming by. Thank and you. And sharing a little bit of, of St. Helena with me. Thank you, Peter. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Diva Darce. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because... Even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.